0: don't know this, then you're behind the times. The
1: only metric that matters is convenience.
0: Rules apply to you, suddenly you're an advertiser finding space. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo.
1: And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world.
0: On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. We've not only post, but it's the
2: comments that we write afterwards.
1: We were joined by Julian Hearn, who is the founder and CMO of Huel. Now I don't need to tell you a lot about the Huel brand. They've been described as the food of the future, and the brand itself is what I would call truly social first.
0: Yes, as Eve said, Huel doesn't owe a lot of its success to traditional media. Instead, it built a successful brand using Facebook ads and a really intuitive page strategy. We asked Julian more about that strategy and what his plans are with the future of social media changing rapidly. I talk about three things. You want a product so
2: good that people become fanboys. You want customer service so good that people love it. And you want uh, a brand so good that people are sort of emotional and they're connected to it.
1: All this and more coming up.
0: What separates a disruptive brand like you all from the pack? And how has social media influenced your success?
2: Um, how do you separate yourself from the pack? Um, in our space now, there probably is about 100 different brands doing a similar type of product. Um, how do you separate? I mean, we were we were one of the first, which is a, a good place to be. And um, I think that uh, being one of the first people sort of gravitate towards that. So social media was one of the key things that sort of got us going in the very early days as well. That, um it wasn't even us being proactive it was, it was actually reacting to what people were doing so um, I'd never done anything on Instagram or Facebook really that much before but as soon as we sort of launched I think it's partly to do with the, our visual identity the way the product looks people sort of um, it res- uh, resonated with them so people were taking pictures posting onto social media and we started seeing some of these sort of pictures coming through and started thinking there was definitely something there so at that point we we put a bit more effort into social media and it's just sort of exploded from there so uh, free social media and paid social media both done really well for us Um, and how you separate yourself i think it's just a thousand different things i don't think there's one thing you can say to separate yourself we think that our you know our branding is good we think our packaging is very good we think our products very good we're very conscious of our ingredients that we pick you know we we one of our key sort of values is that we we're proud of what we do we think we do better than other people we think we care more so um one of the examples i given somebody in the team the other day, like our pouches, when we first launched the pouches, they wouldn't seal at the top. And when you tore, tore them, they, they were very jagged and didn't look very good. Uh, and one of the, the bigger brands in our sort of indirect space, they've been around for, say, 10 years, and uh, they've still got those pouches. They've still got the ones that don't seal. They've still got the ones that are jagged at the top. We went out of our way to find a, a, a better pouch, and now our seal, We've, even if you get powder in it, and when you tear it, it's laser-cut at the top, so then it tears with a sort of pristine lines, so it just looks better. Mm. So it's mm. those lo- sorts of things that really make a difference over
0: time. Attention
1: to detail. Yeah,
0: Attention, to detail. To, say, Attention yeah. to detail. Yeah, yeah. And, it is important. And those inno- inno- innovations... Or- policy <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: so you've, you've said to us before that a lot of your marketing fuel is purely online based is there been like a, a a specific reason for that decision have you seen like worse results offline or why have you decided to take a fully online approach um
2: well we have done some offline yeah. we have done some trials offline and we've done TV we've done out of home um, my background is is marketing I've done 15 years working for sort of corporate businesses and I've done both but most of my time has been doing digital marketing and traditionally when i've worked in companies that do offline my cpa's that i get from digital have usually been far better than what you see from offline mm. the argument is usually that offline is harder to track and therefore you you give it the benefit of the doubt even though the cpa that is trackable seems to be way way higher people argue that you're not getting the full you're not getting the full number and so therefore it, should, it will be higher, and therefore we have to make a sort of judgement of call this goes much higher, but I'm a bit more simplistic than that. I see a high number, and I don't want to spend the high number on the CPA, so I'd rather keep to the ones that I think is low. Yeah. Um, and people talk about offline having great reach. Well, I mean, Facebook's got two billion people on mm. Facebook. Um, we were talking about Out Home the other day. You know, uh, on the Tubes, people uh, see the Tube posters all the time, but last time I was still on the Tube uh, platform, Everybody had their phone in front of their face. They weren't looking at any of the posters out there. So I just think everybody spends their lives on their phone a lot. And uh, therefore, I think that is the place to be is, is, is digital. I think that's where it is. TV, I mean, how often do you sit watching TV now? You fast forward through the adverts or you're watching your phone while the TV is playing in the background. And you're sort of listening to it. I just think that sort of old, old fashioned media is expensive and, and had its day, very difficult to track, that's why we focus on digital as much as we can. Yeah. so you carry on
1: And so you say that you've experimented with TV and out of home, did yep. that confirm your hypothesis?
2: Uh, yeah, I think so, I think that our, our out of home, we did a small test, and it's, it's interesting, It is it definitely worked, um, it's just to what scale it works and, and how, how brave you want to be. So we are going to run some more tests because there's 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 arguments to uh, uh, to for it. So one of them is that with the test we did might be in the wrong area. So we are trying to sort of do uh, well in America at the moment. So we're going to run some additional out of home tests in America mm. to see if they respond differently. The TV, uh, we did a test and we spent some money on the creative. We we did a sort of burst for a month, um, and I think that the. the the signals were pretty good. That I would say definitely worked. I mean, on the first few days, I was getting text messages from friends and family said, so I've just seen your advert on TV and I didn't tell them it was coming. So it was interesting to see that people had seen it. And it wasn't on ITV or any of the big channels, on smaller channels that I don't often watch. But friends had seen it, mm-hmm. which was positive. And definitely we got some sales out the back of it. So it's something that I would do again. But it's, um, it's a harder nut to crack because you don't get that full data back. So you are uh, guessing. More often, and it's hard to optimize. So, you can't, it's very hard to A B test a um, a TV ad, whereas Facebook's much easier. So, again, it's very hard to make those ads better and better and better, Mm. which is what we can do with Facebook. So, yeah, definitely would like to do it again. Definitely think it worked. It's just to what scale it works and how brave you want to be.
0: And talk about bravery, Julian, because I I see Huel is definitely part of this new age of brands. But yeah, you will know as a marketer that that, that, that a lot of marketers who are very still romantic about traditional, about the past. And, you know, their their approach to sort of digital or their sort of feelings of digital is it's just another new thing. Is that a sort of untenable position to be in now, given your success and everything you see? Yeah, I think it's
2: strange. I saw a, I saw a sort of semi-competitor the other day. They'd put some posters on, um, sorry, they'd put some, uh, a post on LinkedIn. They were proud they'd just run a new out-of-home campaign. I thought it's quite strange that when was the last time you saw anybody taking pictures of their Facebook ads and running and putting those on LinkedIn of how proud they were at their latest. So it's, there is something sort of sort of an old fashioned sort of kudos of doing a TV ad or doing a big out of home or doing a big press ad. There's something there, but I think it is just, I think it's just a bit old fashioned. that's the way people used to think, and it used to be that TV was the thing, you know. And if you would got a TV ad, you would sort of made it in terms of being a marketing person, and. Um, I just think that's an old fashioned way of looking at it. For me, the numbers don't, don't make sense to just isolate yourself to those channels. I think digital is, I think in most cases, far superior to, um, to offline, but you know, you you see the big brands spending a lot of money on TV, there's still a chunk of money there. And I, I agree it works, I just think in general it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. So. yeah, I think uh, there's definitely going to be, uh, I'm, I'm 47 now, there's definitely going to be people in my sort of age group that still think that TV is the, the, the bee's knees, but I think mm-hmm. there's going to be other people that are going to realise that digital is not a flash in the pad, it's not something that's got small reach, it's
0: got yeah. bigger reach than offline, really. 100%. And also, in terms of, uh, again, you know, completely heals this sort of new generation of brands that are coming out, you know, that, that are becoming really, really influential. Um, you know very much social first in your approach what part does values play into that because we talk about values a lot and value driven businesses now and for me it used to be values were a thing that you put on the wall of a corporate culture and now it's sort of like you know you live and die by the sword it's you've you've got to put it out there because of that sort of uh, authenticity debate and people want to know exactly what you're about on social yep what part does that play now, would you say, values, and how has that changed?
2: Um, I think that uh, in terms of the way we approach it, I mean, social as in free social, you can communicate a lot more than you can via a TV campaign or something like that. you know, you've got 30 seconds on a TV campaign, 15 seconds. You, you, you can't really communicate hardly anything at all. There's no depth to it. So whereas if you go on social, you have got a lot more time to communicate because the idea is... If you're running an ad, or even if you're doing free free social stuff, the idea is you hopefully get them to people to follow you. If you get follow get followed, then over time you can communicate a lot more. Mm. So you can get different messages across at different times. Whereas uh, TV campaigns, it's, it's a bit more limited. So um, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think that's, that's that's part of it for sure
0: it's almost attaching a personality to a brand yeah, isn't it it's something to talk about. there's so much like responsibility to, to, to you know live by your values I think these days and yeah because everyone sees you <laughs> I want
1: to I touch on something you said before saying that when you ran your TV ad you said it was on channels that you don't necessarily watch but yeah. you were surprised that friends and family had seen it I say for, for someone who's in your position, obviously you're going to be a lot more forward thinking than the majority of like your friends and family, people who are outside of the industry. Is there a concern ever that you're sort of missing that audience that lives offline? Because,
2: you know. Yeah, I think that's one of the key key arguments is that uh, when we have our board meetings, one of the, the guys on our board is a, a little bit older than us. And he said a lot of people he knows don't know who, who Huel is. So how do you get that across to that group? Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, Facebook, you know, everybody's on Facebook pretty much. And everybody's on one of the social channels, so we advertise on all of them. You know, we do Instagram, we do Twitter. Um, they all work for us. So you, you, hopefully you would be able to reach everybody. But there's still mm. a group of people that probably um, – I saw the other day that there's one blockbuster still left in the world that people go to the blockbuster – you, you probably <laughs> don't even know what a blockbuster is. is. <laughs> there's, there's one left in the world, and they were talking to the um, – the
1: people
2: it's a that, museum now. It's sort of, <laughs> There was two of them left. There's one in Australia, one in America. They shut the Australian one. That's why it became newsworthy. Because only one left now. And they were talking to the guy running it. And he says there's some people who just don't even have the internet. So that's why people come in and hire DVDs because they don't have the internet. So they don't they can't watch on demand in the same way that we can. So yeah. people still come and do it that way. So it's definitely gonna be a group of people that you're only gonna hit with whether it be TV or whether it's uh, posters on the tube or whether it's radio or or whether it's the press, you know, some people buy newspapers. I can't remember the last time I bought a newspaper, but you still see some people. I'm driving to work. I still see some people coming out of a newspaper shop yeah. with a newspaper. So there's definitely going to be people that you, groups of people that aren't on Facebook, aren't on Twitter, aren't on Instagram, aren't on Reddit. You know, all these other places. And, and so, but it's just about the uh, the CPAs. That's the problem. Is that you? There's going to be groups of people, but sometimes they're not going to be. Reachable and affordable price, and therefore, you can have to you just can't please all the people all the time, you can't yeah. reach all the people all the time. So, um, so be it.
1: Who, who is it exactly that Huel aims to reach? Because, like, is it is it just a strictly millennial audience, or is it a bit broader than that? Because I, I see Huel as a very, like, millennial like new generation, forward thinking, focused brand, but did, was that intentional or, or has it happened
2: by happy coincidence? It's happened by coincidence, really, that I created the brand really for myself. It was, I was trying to scratch an itch that I had and uh, I just felt that if I, if I needed this type of product, you know, which is basically healthy, convenient food, I just thought, well, everybody needs convenience. We're living increasingly busy lives. Everybody uh, wants to live um, healthier life as well. So typically your convenience food you go and grab from a supermarket is convenient but often it's not healthy. It's usually low quality in terms of nutrition so people typically will call it junk food. And you don't want to live on junk food all the time but you still want that speed. You don't want to have to go and get a load of vegetables chop them all up put them in the oven cook some food it's just too slow so you need convenience so how do you solve that problem? Mm -hmm. So I felt at the time for me I needed it so other people would and um it's worked out that way and in terms of who do we who do we reach you know I was literally just talking to a student 10 minutes ago and he was interested in fuel and he was saying he could see how that would fit into his life so you've got students but then you've got you know our core market really would be office workers and so the majority of the population probably work in an office now but you know some of my friends work on building sites and they use fuel as well and then you've got uh, old age pensioners some people work live by themselves so I had somebody call in and place an order because she didn't want to use the the internet. She said, can I play, pay by phone? Because she was a, an old lady who lives by herself and she doesn't want to get pots and pans out every day and cook food just for one single person. Yeah. She wanted something healthy but quick and convenient. So... It's a very sort of broad product. You know, we've got, you know, uh, vegan, it's a vegan product. So vegans are obviously of all different age groups. Mm. So then there's those, that age group you reach. So it it is quite a disparate group of people. And it used, that's why sometimes socials work particularly well for us. Because it's not like, uh, I don't know, certain brands where you go, right, it's going to be 18 to 25 year yeah. olds. It's going to be males. It's, it's not like that. It's mm. more on you as a person and that's where lookalikes come in is that rather than just picking on old fashioned uh, demographics it picks by not sort of personalities but actually specifics of who you are and what you are into Yeah, and that's quite hard to do via traditional media
0: With that in mind then is there a danger of sort of segmenting by oh this is a millennial brand this is a gen Z brand this is this person this is that person when we we've got so much interest targeting. Yeah, we, we
2: don't tend to do anything like that. We don't tend to talk that way internally about what type of um, even audience that we go after. We just think if we make a quality product, we make it hopefully gender neutral. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we are sometimes perceived as being a more um, uh, masculine brand, but we, we, we're we not. I mean, internally, 50% of our staff is females. We know that I think 30, 35% of our audience or our customers are, are females. You know, the product is... It's, it's optimized for male and female. It's, it's not like that. Um, so we just want to make a quality product that is good for everybody. It's good for the environment. It's good for animals, and we just think that the right people will, will eventually find us.
1: Do you think that marketers in general then place too much emphasis on demographics? Sometimes That you can yeah. get like tied down by that.
2: Yeah, I was just we were just talking about demographics. Uh, 10 minutes ago, and I was just literally saying that uh, the old way of doing it would be on age groups. But if you think about the the, the people in your class at school, how different you are, well, you are exactly the same. You probably lived in the same area. You're definitely the same age. You could be the same gender, but you're not the same people. You like completely different things. That's how, and that's that's really tightly targeted in terms of old fashioned uh, demographics. But it's really poor when you think about it. Or if you did it on your local area, you think how different your neighbours are on your street. My next-door neighbour is not like me at all. Both sides are completely different people, so you mm-hmm. can't do it on different uh, location either. So these, they're very flawed ways of reaching people.
0: The old-fashioned just don't work, in my eyes. Yeah. In which case, then, I want to focus for, for a moment on the the brand identity of Huel, because as you say that, it, it's true. It, it's almost like it seems like everything's been earned media. You, know, you, you don't necessarily have pictures of people going to the gym on your packaging, you know, but... You'll see you might see Hugh on the gym you might see a runner with it you might see somebody in the office how, uh, how how much of that brand identity has played a you know role in your success well we've in you know internally the way we've approached it we've tried to strip it back to the the
2: sort of bare minimum so we, we're allowing people to there's a sort of concept of an empty vessel that if you call something so we you know we picked a, a word that didn't exist in the in the dictionary we've got very simple minimal packaging and then you can layer on your own um your own thoughts to that brand rather than us trying to dictate it to you. So we deliberately said like no pictures of anybody even though people will use you if they go to the gym. We've deliberately said no pictures of people going to the gym, not the we not with we produce. So we don't want to be classified as a a uh, gym product or a bodybuilding product. Uh, there's plenty of other brands that do that and that's their thing that that's what they want to do. So and as soon as you put that on your packaging, you're completely alienating people who don't want to go to the gym or don't want to do bodybuilding. So that, I felt that it was, mm. it was was it's alienating, not inclusive. So by stripping it all back and, and almost having a blank canvas, if you are a, a runner, you could see you're fitting into your life. If you're an office worker, you could see you're fitting into your life. If you're a, um, a young mum at home by yourself, you could see it fitting in. It's you, how you see it, rather than how we're trying to force you to classify it as a bodybuilding product, a running product, or a... A product for mums at home. It, it, that's not what we need to do. We just need to make it a product,
0: and then you make your choices yourself. What I find interesting about that is that is that almost completely goes across the status, qu- goes against the status quo yeah. in this sort of Instagram heavy world that we live in. But it it seems to work for you to be so successful.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I look up to like so Nike. If you take an example of Nike, which I often use as a as a brand that I think has done it extremely well. If you go to I don't know, any gym around the world, almost any country around the world, you'll see people who are proud to wear that product. And they could be male, female, old, young, rich, poor. It's almost irrelevant. So they, they you know, Nike have obviously used sports people, but some of their only early adverts, they had disabled people in their ads. They had, uh, there's a famous one of a, a woman who was, a, a, I think she won the Boston Marathon. She was uh, a woman who'd, she wasn't into athletics at all before. She's When she's running, she said, I recently gave up food, um, certain types of food or drink and something like that, and then she won run the race. So it wasn't just about the people at the top end, even though she was a winner, but it was somebody who'd come from not that athletic background. So they've tried to, um, yeah, not alienate people by picking a very small niche. There's certain brands who really target a very small niche but the problem with that is is that 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 small niche, if it's a particular age group, I don't want to name a brand but there's one that I'm thinking of at the moment, they've actually started struggling because the people they targeted were people sort of uni age people and those people then got older, they left uni and the new people coming in didn't, respond to that brand. So their existing target market got old enough and sort of left them. New people didn't come in. So then they, their sales have gone down and now they're mm-hmm. struggling as a brand. So by picking a very small niche, is quite often a good advice because then you know exactly how to make the ads look. But it means that if you don't follow that, that age group, it happens with pop bands all the time, if you think about them, that their audience gets older and then they don't like them anymore because they don't buy music and then the new people come through, want something new and fresh. They don't want that existing thing. So then people then become, they don't sell any
0: music anymore.
2: Do you get what I'm saying? It's interesting, yeah. yeah.
0: So it's like everything you hear about uh, growing with the brand and, you know, people make their first sort of decisions at 13, 14 about what brands they're going to be with for the rest of their life. It doesn't seem to apply. And I've always thought that because, you know... 16 though i want a mercedes-benz <laughs> you know what i mean it's i'm probably not going to be looking around showrooms at age 16 it's right, yeah. really
1: interesting as well because especially on social a lot of the advice you hear is completely opposite of that it's like niche down like the only way to find your um like audience on social mm. is to have that niche and uh the idea of because obviously there's so much information out there that being too broad can hinder you in some way but what, what you guys are doing is proving the exact opposite.
2: Yeah, it's not being too broad. I'm not trying to like, I think sometimes you, the mistake would be if you went too broad, you might try and include everybody in an advert. Yeah. Then that would be too broad. But I think ours is trying to strip it back so then you can see yourself in there rather than us telling you it's for everybody. Mm. So um, I think you know, McDonald's do quite a good job of this sometimes. They have old and young and uh, different people in their same adverts trying to show that it's for a breadth of different types of people. We're not like that we're more like simple as in strip it all back to the bare minimum Mm. just say this is you know a good product it's got its heart in the right place we've got the right ethics got the right products right ingredients It's better for you blah 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 then you can then see how it fits into your life
1: yeah was there was there any effort um i remember another thing you said while we spoke on the phone that huel just happens to be like uh very photogenic so was there was there ever an effort to make it uh, Instagrammable, as we call it <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, the the first packaging the logo was much much smaller, and um, I think it was a little bit more luck than judgment to make it photogenic um, mm. that uh, yeah, I think uh, when the first when the redesign came through and I saw the the outsized logo, it did feel you know super large, and I was thinking it is a bit of a a change because sometimes you know being small and subtle I, I quite like that. But yet, looking back, it's been the right decision. You know, the the, the t-shirts that we give away, the logo is much mm. larger large on that than normal t-shirts, and the, the 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 logo on the box is much larger, the uh, logo on the packaging, the logo on the bottle. So all of those things produce really good standouts. So I think somebody said that uh, we're very photogenic for Instagram, but it wouldn't work in in retail. But I'm sort of arguing we've we've started talking about going into retail. And we've put our bottles on shelves in retail stores, yeah. and the standout is pretty strong. Yeah. So we can see how that, that sort of uh, uh, high contrast, black and white, that clarity, the size, all of those things contribute to making it. Yeah, photogenic.
1: Yeah, definitely. I would I would argue that it would stand out in retail. It reminds me of like, you know, brands like Supreme, where the logo is quite broad yeah, and yeah, it almost becomes simple, a bit of a status minimalist. symbol in that
2: sense. But the typical way that uh retail I'm sorry, brands do packaging for retail is they not only put their logo on there, but they do shout outs. There'll be lots of sort of clutter on the packaging mm. about, you know, call outs of low sugar or high fat or whatever their their messaging is. And that's what reduces the sort of clarity of it because there's so many little shout outs and so many different colours or designs on there that they conflict with each other and end mm. up m- making it muddled. So mm. ours being stripped back is a little bit alien to what most people are going to be
0: used to, but then it does produce that clear standout. So I think it will do well. Yeah. I wonder if that's a sign of the times as well that we've gotten to everything's become too technicolour and too this and too, you know, shouty, especially on social, um, I think is a, a good example of that. Um Again, I, I say it, I feel like you're one of the the uh, brands that are really sort of flying the flag for this new wave of kind of social first brands that could potentially just exist on social and still be really, really successful. What are the ways you innovate on social with regards to paid and organic? Because we know there's a lot of changes mm. happening now as well. Yeah,
2: I mean, I, I, I think that we... Um, oh, so in terms of... Innovation on social, I don't think we necessarily are at the forefront. I think there's people that probably do a lot better job than what we do. Um, I think that uh, if you look at our social followers on on social on um, paid paid social, I think we're probably better than a lot. We do spend a chunk of money on there for sure, mm. and uh, we do do a lot of testing. And um, I mean, in terms of how do how we innovate i d I'm not really sure how we compare to others. I've spent so much so little time probably looking at other people's stuff, which focus very heavily on what we do. Mm-hmm. But I mean we're constantly doing new stuff and I don't know, can write you a big long list maybe one day of all the little <laughs> yeah. things we do.
1: The debate between paid and organic is interesting though, because as you said, that's like how I first noticed you as I was seeing all these sponsored Facebook posts. Yeah. And um it's obviously been very, very effective for you. But what we've been seeing a lot recently is brands putting a lot less time and a lot less resource into their organic sort of what we call BAU, everyday posting kind of content. Right. Is that something that Huel does or do you, do you just focus on running paid ads? and?
2: No, no, we do. We're heavy into both as, as best as we can. Yeah. So we do you know, put equal effort in really. Our, you know, we, we do do a lot. I mean, I suppose one of the things we have probably innovated on is um, we not only post, but it's the comments that we write afterwards not only the comments, we try to respond to every single comment there is yeah. post- posted. And not only do we just do a corporate robot response, we try to put wit and humour into it. So we try and, um, you know, the starting point is we try and be nice and we try and be genuine in what we're saying, that then if somebody's a real troll, then we will try and banter with them and give a cheeky response. And we've had it quite a few times when people say, I've ended up buying your brand just because I read the comments because the comments were funny and I've ended up reading more about your brand and that's why I've come to you. Mm. So I think that's been a really good thing. I just think it's rude. If somebody writes a comment you don't respond to, I think it's just rude. I think yeah. so many brands I see, there's like 30, 40, 50 comments on an ad, not a single response from the mm. brand. They have literally mm. chuck the ad up. They've treated it as um, not an interactive medium, but social's Completely interactive. Yeah, it's not a TV ad you're posting, so they just seem. I think it's, I think it's bad. I think you're spending the money to put the advert there, and if you're not helping somebody, somebody might be asking a question. They might be being really rude or really negative about the brand. They might be giving incorrect information. They might be trying to promote their their brand in mm. your in your feed. So I think those things are um, strange how other people don't do it, but I think it's been very beneficial beneficial to us.
1: Yeah, I think it's such a good point. It reminds me of a conversation we were having a few weeks ago about how people are trying to find all these answers about why their organic content isn't performing as best it can. Mm. But it is in cases mm-hmm. like that where you're right, people are treating Facebook as like almost as if you're putting out a billboard ad yeah, a and forgetting Need the it, fact right? that it's a yeah. two-way street. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think
2: that's something that's uh, – I think it's fundamental. You're supposed to be you – want, you want to encourage that. You want more comments. I think it's good for the algorithm I think they, they see that but mm-hmm. I think also it's just it's just trying to get an interaction and um, being direct to consumers has been a big benefit for us that we uh, we haven't gone into retail yet and I think as soon as you go into retail you get disconnected to, to you, from your customer and being disconnected is very bad because you just don't get feedback so from day one we get constant feedback and then you find out what's wrong with your product you li- mm-hmm. if you listen, then you hear, then you, you iterate, fix things, make things better. And that's why over time I think we've iterated and got our product a lot better than when we first launched mm. quickly. It's because we've got that constant feedback. When you're in retail, you don't get that. Your feedback is from the Tesco buyer saying we didn't sell that well or mm. can you fix this? And yeah. it's one person's opinion. You're not actually listening to the, pe- the end user, the person buying it. We mm. listen to our customers all of the time.
1: How about? It- how sorry how important is it for you to be like close to that conversation in that case I you no know, am I right in thinking a lot of your almost all of your marketing is kept in-house things like your customer management or do you feel like if you outsource that then you might sort of lose that closeness of being yeah like first to know what people are saying
2: our customer service team are all in house uh, we do have some freelancers as well but they're all employed um, for us we we do everything like that they are eyes and ears i did I did Facebook comments in the evenings and weekends were probably about the first 18 months. Really? And um, I did customer service for the first three months to six months. So I was extremely close. And I, I can tell you that those days I was talking to somebody else who's just trying to start a business. And I say, look, first six months, you do everything yourself. Because by doing that, you get so much closer and mm. you hear stuff and there's so many little nuances that you you just don't get even if i get feedback from my team now there's so much little stuff that i just don't hear or f- feel mm. and therefore i don't know i'm not as connected as what i was before mm. even though we've got an in-house team and they give us reports on what stuff needs to be fixed yeah. and how and, and working on stuff it's
1: like most ceos won't have even had that first 18 months being that close
2: no i think it's when you start from zero then you have to sort of muck in and get stuff done and but looking back that was incredibly beneficial that uh, I don't think we would be there where we are today if I hadn't done that. So I think that um, being connected to your customers is super important. I just find it strange how some people just don't do it. They yeah. just they just stay disconnected and and that's the wrong place to be.
0: What do you see your main challenges as a CEO of, of obviously a very successful brand at the moment in this current landscape? A, I'm not the CEO anymore.
2: So I gave up the CEO role. Um, uh, I don't know when it is, about a year ago, maybe. Um, I'm CMO, so I just welcome marketing now. So I'm founder and CMO. Uh, the reason is, is the CEO has to do everything or bits of everything. And there were certain areas that either didn't excite me or I didn't think I was particularly good at. Mm. So they have to do operations, legal, finance, HR, sort of areas that I don't think I'm strongest at. I'm better at brand and, and marketing. So that's why I took that
0: role. We brought somebody else to do the CEO role um sorry what was the question so your, your challenges as a cmo change. then in that case uh, it, which is which is very relevant to you know the way the landscape is going because it's it's obviously the change that's happening now is you know a lot's happened in the past 10 years and has in say 30 years of marketing you could say
2: yeah i mean the challenges are um widespread i think Firstly, for for marketing, I think too many people think marketing is advertising. That's only just one part of it. Mm -hmm. So for me, I look at everything from the delivery service that we use, the the, the packaging, the ingredients of the product, the taste of the product, the texture of the product, uh, which products do we launch, the price of the product, how our websites are executed, our our customer service, our CRM. So all of those things all contribute to to the product. I think everywhere you touch a customer, marketing should be involved. And so there's there's lots and lots of challenges, and every day is different. Um, you know, we're constantly trying to make our products better. We're t- constantly trying to reach new audiences. Uh, we've just launched in Japan, so we're dealing with different languages and different cultures. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, we've got uh, nine stroke ten websites now, different languages. We've got French, we've got uh, a Dutch website, Czech Republic, Poland... Denmark, America, Japan. So we've got all of those and uh, stuff works in different countries differently. So when we do our our ads, we have to think different approaches. We're trying to look constantly for new channels. Um, So yeah, there's a a lot to do.
0: There's an interesting point within that as well because you mentioned product and you know, a lot of brands will sort of profess to be like, you know, we care about our product, but the product won't change over five, ten years. You probably saw what Carlsberg did recently with yep. changing their oh, pills yeah. there and it was a big sort That's of quite like, a U-turn there. Yeah, it was seen as like a U-turn and a brave moment. I mean, for somebody, you know, with such a product focused brand, what what do you sort of see when you see that? You think I think yeah, a lot
2: of too too many brands rest on their ho- laurels. So the classic example that we use would be Halo Tops. It's an ice cream from America. And uh, they only launched six years ago. And they noticed that uh, customers want less sugar in their product. And they like ice cream, but they want less sugar and they probably want more protein. So all they did was took some of the sugar out, put stevia in, uh, which is a natural sweetener. And they also put a bit of extra whey protein in. So it's a bit higher in protein. So it's lower in calories, higher in protein, but still tastes pretty good. And within six years, they're the biggest selling ice cream in North America. And they're out selling Hagen Ben and Jerry's, uh, Unilever's brand, which is Briars. And they're they're in the UK now. So that's what's happens if you if you don't keep innovating and keep making the products. Both of those, you know, Unilever and uh, Ben & Jerry's and haagen have got much bigger budgets. They've got bigger R&D teams. They've got bigger brand names. They've got better du- distribution. But they've been overtaken within six years, and they've been around for decades. So it's quite scary to think there could be a brand today that could overtake Huel if we're not careful. There could be a brand which is does exist today that if they up their game, they could overtake us as well. So we have to constantly keep iterating, improving. We've just uh, taken a new office on and in, the, in that office at the back we've got a warehouse In there we've got to invest, I don't know, probably a total of over half a million pounds in building a pilot plant so we can make our own ready to drink version on mini batches, our own powder and our own bars and therefore we can just, every day, we can keep tweaking and making that product better and better and better. Mm. And I think if you don't do that, so yeah, if a, if a beer's been around for 100 years not been improved, maybe maybe it's about time you did.
1: yeah. So like there so they've obviously changed the beer haven't they and then yeah, they've, they've yeah. come out with the campaign alongside where do you where do you think the line would be drawn then between say product and perception so you have to like keep changing your product to improve it over time but then there's the marketing that comes alongside of that do you think more focus needs to be placed say on changing that perception to keep that fresh and new as well
2: um yeah I mean perception is uh is obviously reality in in a lot of cases, and it's hard to change. So for us, I mean, you think, uh, I don't know, iPhone, they bring out a new phone every uh, 18 months. The perception is they're still seen as one of the better phones, but probably Samsung technically are probably better now. So... um,
1: See, a lot of people are still loyal to Apple. In that they're sense, super loyal I've, tried, tied in. I've been I've walked into a car phone warehouse store <laughs> knowing that I wanted to get the next iPhone. And the Samsung people have put up a really, really good argument. I've heard the logic and I've still bought the iPhone.
2: Yeah. There is a brand loyalty there, the, the most valuable company in the world, I think. Yeah. And uh, so they're doing something right for sure. But they do bring out new products 18, every eighteen months, if yeah. not more often. And so you do have to keep, you know, you're, you're in a race, you're in a competitive, you know, every every space that's worth beating is going to have multiple competitors. Mm. That's not necessarily a bad thing because you can use them as allies. You're all trying to communicate something. If you communicate roughly the same thing, then you you can raise raise that sector. Yeah, definitely. So you do want competition, and you do want, um, um, uh, but you do need to keep innovating because they they will. Mm. Sometimes you you. Too much innovation can sort of off put people sometimes if you go and keep moving ahead. Because I, I get annoyed sometimes yeah, when things change to people too often. Yeah, they've
1: got to keep up. Yeah, first. they've got to
2: keep up with you. So people you know, like consistency as well, I imagine. Don't they they do, yeah. We've had the same problem when we've launched new products. People have not liked it as much as the previous product because people mm-hmm. don't always like change. But we're on version 2.4 of our powder now, we're on version 3 of our bar, uh, version 1 of our ready to drink version. So they're all going to keep getting better. But those changes sometimes are quite small increment changes and yeah. not radical changes because we've got a lot of customers on subscription. So those subscription customers are going to expect the same product. So every time we do a version change, it's quite scary because if they don't like it, then you've maybe lost a subscription customer, which yeah. is which is bad because they, they want that same product. But we can't keep the old versions going forever. So there's a balance knack between those two things of innovating and innovating too fast, yeah. but also not getting overtaken by somebody else who comes along with a better product.
1: Yeah. And you're making like lots and lots of little changes that mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you go on. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you said earlier that you're always focusing on new channels to try and yeah. innovate. Is there any specific channel that you've got your eye on that you're going to be trying?
2: Uh, we've, we've tried a few recently. So uh, what's the latest ones we tried? Uh, Snapchat we've been experimenting with. Um, Reddit, we've been experimenting with. Mm. Then there's new stuff like, I don't know, TikTok and things like this that we've just tried. Yeah. Um, everything's worth a try. And the way I see it is literally everything is worth a try. If you yeah. can prove something's got a good CPA, I'm happy to pile into it and do more and more and more. But you have to, sometimes things work straight away. Other things, you go, well, I couldn't quite get out the word a CPA is terrible. But I think there's something there. And then you have to try and suss out how to get it better. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, in terms of uh, anything beyond that, in terms of tips, no. How have, um, have you found Snapchat? Because a lot of it, it seems to be one of those platforms that's kind of uh, platforms with brands. I don't know, people think about well, Instagram. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's as good
2: as some of our other platforms, but um, we haven't given it full effort yet. Mm. It's a tricky one because I don't personally use it at all. Um, and and uh, it feels a bit more. I'm saying American, but it feels a certain... It's, 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 it's more niche than the others. I think yeah. if you take something like a Reddit or something, it's got a, a broader base. I think Facebook and Instagram have probably got a broader base. I think Snapchat is quite small uh, in terms of its breadth of demographics. Um, so, but they all add up to a mix. You don't want to sort of... Um, you want to spread yourself around because mm. the problem is if you get addicted to one platform, mm, typically over time platforms... You know, whether it be AdWords or whether it be Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, they get more and more expensive over time because I think the the, the owners realise that you're making money because you'll keep spending more and more. Yeah. They keep turning the dial up in terms of how um, how much you spend with them. And so over time, the the, the the profitability goes down. That's mm-hmm. what I've seen typically over time. AdWords in the early days, I was making you know hundreds of percent profit, and over time it went down and down and down. And He's making small because I think they just kept on turning it up. Facebook strategy yeah. hasn't it so I think it happens and so you need to accept that everything's got not shelf life but everything's got a time when it's going to be low cost Um, And then over time, it's going to become more and more expensive. So if you are basing your whole campaign on one channel, it becomes so expensive, it becomes unprofitable and therefore unaffordable. You're then in a really sticky position because what you're going to do then, then you have to start trying to innovate and you've got a time pressure. So you want to keep doing that all the time. You want to find the next one. The next one keeps coming through as they all sort of keep working at the same time. So we've Mm -hmm. spread ourselves around quite a lot to ensure that we don't become addicted to one too much.
0: Yeah. As, as we saw with the Carlsberg uh, example and obviously Huel, which I uh, uh, you know, imagine customer feedback, as you've said, is very important. Um, one of the changes that we've seen in social, and this is definitely going to uh, sort of mark the landscape for the next foreseeable future, uh, is the focus that they're putting on private messaging apps, so WhatsApp and Messenger. And I can imagine those are like a big source as well of, cus- of customer feedback where do you see with that the opportunities and the challenges with a social media that's not necessarily a facebook ad that everybody sees but it's a one-to-one conversation between brand and consumer
2: that sounds really good to me i mean like whatsapp has got huge number of uh, traffic so whatsapp is interesting um um, we had our um we got invested by a company called uh, highland europe back at the end of last year one of their brands is called Thread. Thread. They they are. They've got no website. They've got no app. They do all of their commerce through WhatsApp, mm. and it's through chat commerce. You literally send you a Stripe link when you decide to buy something. You then pay for it within WhatsApp, which is sounds a bit too radical for me at the moment. But it makes sense that if you've got a communication with a person, you know, say we've got customer service people on WhatsApp, we've got customer service people on Facebook. If somebody says oh, I'm interested in your product. Um, and you have a chat about it, ask a couple of questions, why should you send them away to a website where they've got a filler form in? Why shouldn't you just Mm -hmm. send them the link, say, right, just click this button, make a payment, and we'll send it to you? It seems to be the way it should be done. It's like, it's almost very old fashioned if you think about it. It's how you'd react if you came into a shop. Somebody comes into a shop, they ask you a couple of questions, then they say, can I buy that product? So for me, it sounds
0: great. The commerce brands completely, and yet we've made the admission before, haven't we, that sort of you know, how relevant later down the line is the website going to be to commerce yeah. sites. It
1: seems to be the and way it's going, things like WhatsApp's new product catalogs. yeah. You're right, it's just replicating that conversation that you'd have in real life and putting it onto a digital medium instead of putting in all these additional steps when yep. it could be so much simpler.
0: Definitely, definitely. It would be uh, a sort of crime, I would say, to uh, have a brand like Huel come on the podcast and yourself, Julian, and not ask you uh, what marketers entrepreneurs business owners should consider when starting a business in 2019 and beyond
2: uh, i think fundamentals are still going to be that you want to you want to get your brand right first so i think you need to get your position of your product right first and um somebody's asking me questions about this. how do you create a brand he's already got his product and got his website and i think it's the wrong way to do it i think you need to start from the very early stages when you're first launching you need to get these things right and just think what, what's my brand going to stand for? What's my mission going to be? What what do I want to try and achieve? And then the rest of it should sort of come out of that rather than going, I want to make some money, then create a brand and uh, it's, the, it's the wrong way around. You want to try and think fundamentally what you're trying to do. And I was quite lucky in, in, in Huel in some ways that I'd already sold a previous business. So with Huel, it wasn't sitting down thinking, I need to make this amount of money or I want to try and buy a yacht or something like that it was like I wanted to do something I was going to be proud of so and I wanted to do this product myself so it's much easier to um, put your uh, make something that you're proud of is a good starting point rather than thinking of what you, how do you make money from something because I think people can see through that so this guy that had emailed me I looked at his website and it didn't look like there was a lot of love there it just looked like something which should sort of follow the old school rules of how to do stuff and it didn't look that good, So I think that you want to try and build a community as well. So uh, Huel being a mission-based business, we've sort of got a community of people who sort of buy into that. I mean, we quite often, you know, people come for jobs at Huel and they want to join us because of that. So I think that's a pretty fundamental thing to think about is how do you, um, what are you doing it for? You know, if you get that right, um, then you get the visual identity right, get the positioning right and then you just got to make a bloody good product, mm-hmm. and then then ensure afterwards that you make, you look after your customers. I think a lot of people don't, they just spend a lot of time um, selling, but then not satisfying the it's customer afterwards. About, don't they? Um, <laughs> my example always is, if you go and pick up a telephone line now to Sky TV, I'm pretty sure that you'll get through it in 30 seconds. I'm pretty sure if you've then, once you've completed that, the order, put the phone down, You go, oh shit, I wanted to ask this customer service question. You go through the customer service line, I'm pretty sure it would take you an hour to get through. Yeah, Mm. You know, it's just that that sort (laughs) of level is just, I don't think in this day and age you can get away with that. I think it's, uh, they've got a long history, they've got a lot of people tied in. But I think if you're starting a new brand today, you want to think about how do you do things right. And I think that, um, you know, I talk about three things. You want a product so good that people become fanboys. You want customer service so good that people love it, and you want uh, a brand so good that people are sort of emotional and they're connected to it. So, you know, the typical examples for a product so good would be Apple that we spoke about. They do spend a lot of time over the detail. I think customer service, I use John Lewis as an example. I think their customer service is very good. If you walk into a John Lewis store, you're gonna feel different level of customer service than you go somewhere else. And I think with brand, I usually use Nike as an example because I think that they've got some sort of enduring brand there that people are proud to, to wear And um, they're not niche, so they've got this ongoing market, old, young, male, female. I think they appeal to a mass market. So it's it's those sort of three things you've really got to focus on.
0: You've got to say, of all Mm. the innovations in social and what's, like we said, what's been happening with WhatsApp and Messenger, has it been easier to attain those things, I'd say? Yeah, definitely.
1: I think the customer service point and the community aspect is really interesting as well because, right, it's a lot of... It's something that a lot of brands let slip
0: Yeah, they don't yep. think
1: it's that important but yeah
0: Percent. so that's very good advice thanks very much Julian thanks for joining us really really enjoyed that yeah thank you for very coming much. on awesome. thank you for having me thank you pleasure thank you for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode
1: if you did please remember to leave us a review on iTunes because it really really helps and allows us to bring you brand new episodes every single week
0: this has been the Social Minds Podcast with myself Theo Watts Eve Young and produced by Ollie Thompson